you are listening to a night dream. A night dream podcast. Well, uh, one day I would like to finish the two books I started. You are listening to a night dream. A night dream podcast. Repressed and Depressed, The Saddest Man Who Was Ever Alive, Part 1 You aren't bad, just slightly pathetic. You have bought two boxes of mince pies in February, which isn't even that pathetic, you think to yourself. You just like them. Because you know that you just can't help yourself, you put them high up in the cupboard, alongside the heavy things that you don't have to move much. You think about how cheap mince pies often taste slightly stale anyway and you lick your top lip. This spoils the moment for you. You're alone, and you're performatively licking your lips. Are you physically doing something because it's a phrase? Now that you're overthinking things, other thoughts sneak in about cholesterol, advertising, Christmas, and its steady commercialization. You've never felt religious, not even slightly. You reach up to get a packet down and your finger snags the cord on your iron which falls very quickly onto your head and you fall backwards onto the cans and empty bottles that you stack by the bin for recycling. Your head makes a boom noise as it hits the bin and your arm hangs limply, your elbow digging into the cat's food bowl. You feel as if you're having a lucid dream or reading an article about one while zoning out on the toilet. You are in fact still lying on the floor, unable to get up. Suddenly you hear voices in the hallway, and any embarrassment you felt is outweighed by relief. Your neighbours must have heard your head hit the bin, or maybe all the beer bottles that broke when you fell on them. You see two men, both glowing, neither of them are your neighbour. Are you an angel? you ask them. The words sound bad as soon as you say them, and the men ignore you. You feel a bit embarrassed. Even though you try really hard, sometimes you just don't have a filter. At least you might just be concussed. Concussed people say stupid things all the time and get away with it. They are not your neighbours, but they're both wearing high-vis jackets. One stands under the kitchen light, which from where you're lying makes it look like a halo. For fuck's sake, look at all this shit, he says. Angel shouldn't swear, but he does. As he moves out of the light, you see that he is not an angel, but a balding man, with short white hair and blue eyes. His face and arms are marked with liver spots, and from the floor you can see his stomach sticking out from over his belt. The other angel is rolling a cigarette with one hand, and says, Mark said we'd only be picking up one sofa, one small table, and a chair. Look at all this crap. They are talking about your things, and the smoking angel uses one of your mugs as an ashtray. Begrudgingly, the two men set to work kicking your sofa until the arms and legs are detached. You think about confronting the men, but something feels wrong, and you almost don't care about what they're doing. You hate rude people, and you think about your own mother, who shouted at you on the phone when you told her about your new cat. You had wanted her to be pleased, and it really hurt when she said you should take it back to the cat sanctuary. You love that cat. The men continue to ignore you, and start putting all your unopened food into a bag for life from your cupboard. They find an assortment of tall unopened spirits in another cupboard, birthday presents from colleagues which you are always grateful for. 
They didn't know how you felt uncomfortable at your own birthday, how your mostly absent father ruined them for you. For the five years before he left, he would celebrate your birthdays with a family drive to the beach and force you to make a sandcastle. He would photograph you next to it and made a small album of the photos. Your hands were always painful and numb and by the end your mum would be waiting in the car, stony-faced. Hating that tradition was the only thing that you think you agreed upon. In her defence, your mother never meant to bring up a watery-eyed, lonely man. Somewhere you learnt not to answer back, but also to be scolded for not believing in yourself. Most men manage to be awkward, or at least hard to talk to, and you are. Following behind the removal men, you admire them for what they are, seamless agents of change. It took you whole evenings to choose that sofa, and even a month after it arrived, you weren't sure it was the one, but by that time, inertia had truly set in. They carry your things down the three flights of stairs you used to walk up and down every day, and they throw your things into the back of a transit van. You don't know why they're doing it or who told them to, but the men are still ignoring you, so you climb into the back of the van and they close the doors. As the van pulls away, it causes your possessions to shuffle awkwardly. The bauble on your cat's scratching post bobs up and down erratically, and you hope that whatever's happening to you, that your cat will be all right. Your mum hated that you moved into an estate. She always told you how she wanted more for you, and couldn't understand how you could be happy. You weren't. Having your own space was great though, and not seeing her every day did wonders for your self-worth. It isn't that you don't love her, she's just difficult. Deep down, you felt certain that most of the criticisms aimed at you had been aimed at your father the first time round, and like a crooked boomerang, instead of returning to the owner, would catch you in the back every time you presented a large enough target. The engine lets out a final noise and the van stops. The men open the door and you're bathed in sunlight. The air is cold and delicious. After a cigarette, the men tear your stuff from the van and throw it out into a compound full of old things, crowded around like animals, drinking from a stream. The men use a brush to push your smaller things out of the van and onto the floor. You walk past them into a warehouse in which other men busily sort stuff dropped off by other vans. It feels chaotic and strange. A buzzer above a door rings and the clock next to it reads 10.45. The men stop what they are doing and walk towards the door. Most of them are rolling cigarettes. One of the men starts pouring peanuts into his mouth, which you are very allergic to. You're about to tell him how serious your allergy is when you realise that you are dead, so it doesn't matter. You sit down in the staff room and watch people drink coffee. Okay, not last story of the episode, Infinite Funeral. You have just started a new job that your mentor has clearly been doing for a long time. You try to make conversation and ask him about the strangest delivery that he's ever made. That's easy, he says. He's been working for the company for just over a year, delivering around South Central Area, which is apparently called Zone 6 these days. He says it was pure suburbia, the dream route, and you nod eagerly, pleased at yourself for starting such a good, if one-sided, conversation. He says to even be considered for it, the boss had to like you, plus you had to be good. 
but he also admits that in those days being good was a little bit easier. They did a 30 parcel day and there was no clock off, no phones, no GPS. You know Sam, he asks, and you say you don't because it's your first day. He doesn't really listen to you and says, yeah, he worked zone 7 and I'd be two beers down before he even started queuing at the bar. The bar, he says, they lost their license maybe five years ago. Too many games of cards out back, he says. Or maybe they just didn't invite the right people. You know what I mean? You don't. After staring into space for a while, he starts talking again about the delivery. Sure, so, anyway, I'm heading south. Zone 6, that is. Trunk's about half empty. I check the list and see Friendly Street. He obviously loves Friendly Street. Apparently every lawn is identical. Every car has seen a coat of wax within a week. Not this time, he says. Something feels a little different, a little crappy. You know? You sort of do. His face sours as he tells the next bit. He looks up and sees an AQS fan. He says, you think they look shitty now? Well, they look like that from day one. Last week you applied for a job there and would be working there now if they'd have had you. So, he says, I'm still trying to park, but I can't find a space, which is very unusual on Friendly Street. He sees a parcel first van in his usual spot and it pisses him off. After a pause, you say you can imagine. He says that he gives up on parking. This ain't the city and I'm not going to get a ticket, so who cares? It's minor, he says. So he stops to open up the back. It's the biggest box there is, he says. It's huge. Luckily, he had the kickstand, which he'll train you to use later. And when he gets to the door, he sees a note. Please deliver to the back entrance via the garden. Whatever, fine. It's more than he'd normally do, he says. But you don't complain on a self-central drop. So he gets the cart moving again, and he can see something in the back garden. When he reaches the back, he sees about ten guys, all staring at the back of the house. Each guy is clearly a delivery driver. He names a few. Box to you, in their stupid brown uniforms. The AQS guys in their dark blue trousers. And someone from Parcel Force. He glowers as he says, Parcel Force. He says there are even more uniforms that he didn't recognise. They're all looking at one thing through the sliding doors. It's a guy, a pretty big guy, lying on a sofa with a glittery blue party hat strapped to the top of his head. He ain't quite lying right and something doesn't feel right, your mentor says. And he sees a big sheet of paper pinned to the window. It says, I am dead, real big. And underneath, in still pretty big writing, it says, Do not worry. If there are at least ten of you, please elect someone to read the letter hidden under the gnome by the back door. He says he was the closest, so he does, and he finds a note that says, Do not read this aloud, so he stops reading it aloud. After you've read the note, please return it to under the gnome. Thanks, I owe you one, pal. So he reads it to the group of people. Hello everyone here, welcome to my funeral, wake, celebration of life whatever you want to call it. The short of it is that I really fucked up and I don't have anybody. That simple. 
I've been driving packages for 30 years and I can't think of anyone I'd rather have here than you guys. Anyway, here's to you. I've maxed out as many credit cards as I could get my hands on and I've placed as many catalogue orders as possible for as many delivery dates as I could find. They'll freeze the orders when the cops and the banks find out, so please don't tell anybody. Enjoy, and my apologies to the son of a bitch who got the blow-up pool. And at this point, your mentor points to himself and says, That was me. He summarises the rest of the letter, saying, If it isn't obvious, please open up whichever package you brought with you. And they did. Your mentor says it was fucking nuts. It was like Christmas, like a birthday and a funeral, all at the same time. There were cases of beer, boxes and boxes of cigarettes, pool floats, a barbecue, loads of garden furniture. It was mad, he says. And the best part was that I put on my form that I couldn't make the delivery, so I had to go back the next day, and the other guys had the same idea. So this time the party's even bigger and there's even more stuff turning up. He says he went a couple more times and yeah, every time he got a ticket, the council started doling out parking fines left, right and centre. Nobody cares though because they know nothing like this is ever going to happen again. Your mentor beams and says, Man, I'd have loved to work for the traffic department that month. Jackpot. Okay, last story of the episode. Uh, The small bathroom with the mirror. Although you've lived in the same house for more than 20 years, you could never have expected the secret of the small mirror. One morning you wake up, everything is normal, and the birds are singing cheerfully. After checking the news on your phone, you make a coffee and start reading the news on your phone again. Slowly, you become aware that you need the toilet. Not so unusual. After going to the toilet, you start washing your hands. Catching your reflection in the mirror, you're surprised at how different you look compared to how you imagine yourself to look. You attempt to smile to brighten up your sullen expression. Why do you have to look so moody? For the first time since you bought the mirror, you touch its face where your face is. You attempt to stroke your face as if assuming the role of your own caring relative. You miss your grandparents, your dad, someone you went to school with, and Pam, who looked after you when you worked in a call centre. Your hand passes through the mirror, and you realise an identical space exists behind the mirror. The same small room, the same toilet and sink. You crawl through and sit on the new toilet, and although it's the same, it feels different. The new door is shut, and you wait quietly, excited that something might exist beyond the other small room.